Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 342. Welcome in. Uh, A couple minutes ago, I finished interviewing a very, very special guest, uh, Ryan Leaf, a guy who, in case somehow you don't know who he is, he's a former NFL quarterback. He was drafted number two in the NFL draft, literally right behind Peyton Manning. Uh, incredibly talented, and I I have really come to admire the guy. The more I watch him, the more I listen to how he talks, um, and his authenticity, his realness, his honesty, and he's very very kind. There were a couple moments in the interview where I asked a question where I went, "Oh, I I should have said that. I should have worded that differently." And he was incredibly kind and gracious. And I hope I wasn't too harsh actually. Uh, and I, I got to say, man, he's the best. He's so kind off camera, behind the scenes as well, and so. I got nothing else to say. I, I can't recommend it enough. He just recently started a YouTube show called The Ryan D. Leaf Show. Uh, and uh, I just, uh, I think he's a wonderful human being. So without further ado, enjoy my conversation with Ryan Leaf. Ryan Leaf, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, first of all, I got to say thank you so much. It's, uh, I went to Washington State, by the way. And so it's really cool that I've heard uh, a lot about you. I know people who've met you. They all speak very highly of you. And you've got a lot of fans up in the Palouse. So it's pretty cool to be able to talk to you. Well, go Cougs. Let's start. Let's start with go Cougs. Absolutely. That's why I wore, I wore the red, kind of red. It's like a salmon color, but it's closer like than it. close enough what I have. Um, I want to start with this, if I may. You know, everybody has an opinion of you. They kind of range all over the place. Uh, some very positive. Some, I think, have some fair criticism. And then some people are just awful, like really, like they're really, I think, inappropriately mean. And I'm, I'm curious because I get hate and I talk about like I'm, I'm nobody. Right. I can't imagine being a much more public figure. How do you handle trolls? Well, it's also a choice on my part. Right. I, I've chosen to stay in the public uh, eye. Um, hmm. You know, I could have just disappeared. I kind of did. I went to prison for three years. That was a way of me disappearing from from yeah. trolls, I guess. But I just don't engage in, uh, you know, in negativity. I just, I don't. Mm. And if there's yeah. negativity, I, I take the high road. I can be really self-deprecating. I think that's a, doesn't cost me anything to, to take the high road. I, I know who I am. Uh, I'm grateful for what I've gone through and where I'm at. And for those people that uh, I owe amends to, you know, those are things that I continually try to do over time when I interact with them, you know, because for the most part, um, you know, people I may have wronged, I may have never seen again. You know, and it, there have to be almost like public amends when I go through that process. And that's just something I have to work out personally with my mentors and, the, and my support staff. And so that's how I deal with it. You know, um, yeah. a lot of times negativity from other people is a projection of how they're feeling or um, what they need to get off their chest. And if that's yeah. helpful to them. OK. <laughs> yeah. What's something uh, you look back and you're grateful for, like a lesson you learned that you appreciate? Um, you know, the humility of going Mm. to prison. Um, I'm grateful for, um, the consequences that came to me Mm. for my missteps, because there's a lot of people who are going through something similar that I went through or am going through and no one sees it. They just disappear and they're gone. Mm. And every life is so precious and we never hear from them again. When I messed up, it's public. Like if yeah. I mess up, it's on the banner of, of ESPN or uh, in the front page of the newspaper or on the, the internet. It's just, it just is. So 
I have to take a really hard look in the mirror when something like that happens where others, they just kind of slide below the radar and, and we may never hear from them again. And that's, mm. that's incredibly sad. Yeah. I want to ask you expectations can be incredibly brutal. You were the number two overall pick drafted literally right behind Peyton Manning. Yeah. How do you think expectations impacted you? Well, I think my expectations were huge too. So I, I can't, mm. I can't blame anybody else's expectations. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to be the greatest to play. I thought I was the greatest quarterback coming out of college that year. And I just, I assumed that it, I, I actually assumed it was going to be as easy as it was in college. Not to say that it, I didn't work hard for it. It just, you know, college was fun. And, <laughs> you know, Coach Price and I and that Washington State team tore people apart. And I just, I assumed that if I just stepped on the football field and done what I've done my whole life, that will self-correct any character defects that I have off it. And, you know, at the highest level, you forget there's 27,000 of us ever to play the game. That's mm. it. It's a very small number. And if you don't have everything put together, if you don't have everything going on right uh, in your life and how you deal with things, uh, you're not long for that, that profession. How many people you think uh, go to the NFL and do what they've always done? I mean, because you follow a workout plan, like you feel like you're doing some work, but not everybody's Tom Brady where they go above and beyond. How many people think just Go into, go into the NFL and do exactly what they've always done, follow the workout plan, and don't actually go beyond and ask what else they need to do? Well, if they do, they're out of the league pretty quick. Yeah. You know, there's some that are extremely talented that, uh, you know, but everybody who's drafted, everybody who gets to that level is extremely talented. It's what you do from Sunday to Sunday and how you adapt and evolve. And to your point, Tom Brady, every offseason, he got with his quarterback coach and they looked at deficiencies and how to improve him. He was a better quarterback this year at 43 years old than he was at, you know, 32 um, playing and winning his, you know, third Super Bowl or something like that. He just, he's evolved and gotten better over time. Some of the physical talents have diminished, but because of his work ethic, there's a reason why he's continuing to do it. He's a special individual. And for a guy who didn't succeed, who failed at that level, uh, he astonishes me. And, and, And I'm incredibly proud of him. I don't know if that means anything to him coming from someone like me, but wow, just unbelievably proud of his evolution, his success, and the way he's kind of carried himself. Let's lean into that. If there's anything else you want to say about that, what are a couple of things you think most contributed to Tom Brady's success? Because you've got a unique perspective as a former NFL quarterback. Well, I think that, you know, expectations weren't high. You know, he was a six-round mm-hmm. pick. He was backing yeah. up Drew Bledsoe. You know, if Drew doesn't get hit in the sternum by Mo Lewis <laughs> in that Jets game, do we yeah. even see Tom Brady that year? You know, and when does all that, you know, talent and work ethic finally come to the forefront. I, I suspect he would have ultimately became the quarterback there, but let's say he goes to Cleveland uh, in, in the sixth round. Do we even, you know, know who Tom Brady is? He would probably say yes because of, of his mindset, but I, I really <laughs> yeah. think it's a lot about where you go, who you surround yourself with. There's a combination of things. Pro football is the ultimate team game. You have to have everybody functioning at the very highest level to experience that kind of success. So, um, I, I think that expectations weren't high. He was able to really run with a chip on his shoulder. Sometimes that really helps. It helped me a lot coming out of Montana. No one expected me to go anywhere, mm-hmm. do anything. And uh, the early success for me was uh, uh, highly attributed to that. Well, part of Montana did you grow up in? I, I should know that, but I don't. I've been to Bozeman. I love the area. Uh, Great Falls. So, Great Falls, uh, okay. North, North Central, you know, about 150 miles south of the Canadian border. Um, really uh, blue-collar. Um, agriculture, military town. Mm. Um, folks still live there. A lot of relatives <laughs> still in the area. 
Um, you know, Montana is not known for uh, its professional athletes. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm no. I'm the only uh, Montana who's ever been drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. So wow, there are more. Uh, first round draft picks in the Manning family than the whole state of Montana ever. So it's, it's, uh, it gives you some perspective yeah. on, on what that looks like. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious. Um, do you think, I don't know, where to, I don't know where to go with this, but how many quarterbacks do you think go into the NFL and just fail because of the situation they go into? Well, I also don't ever look at it as a failure because mm, I like, okay. You know, yeah. no one is, ever, no one's ever supposed to make it there. The odds That's fair. of yeah. you, going to the NFL uh, are so astronomical, uh, they're comical. So I don't look at anybody who gets to the NFL and if they are not what people consider uh, successful in the NFL, I don't consider them failures at all. I consider them, uh, you know, guys that just couldn't get it done, you know, wasn't good enough. And there's a small number. You can probably count them on, uh, you know, inside a hundred of the great quarterbacks in the history of the NFL. So um, I don't ever look at it as failure. Uh, I look at it as, you know, uh, you know, we're trying to achieve a goal and, and coming up short um, to what you wanted to achieve. The expectation of others on this is irrelevant. It is absolutely not. Every player that washed out of the NFL uh, during their transition believes they did not succeed in what they wanted to do. Even guys that played 15 years and won a couple Super Bowls, they still walk away from the game feeling like they didn't achieve everything they wanted to achieve. I really appreciate you calling me out on that a little bit. I know you didn't mean to, but that, I really think it's so easy to look at it as like Matt Leinart, for example, was an incredible quarterback, won a Heisman Trophy, and he quote unquote. You, some people call him a failure, and that's just not, I think, appropriate way to talk about it. Actually, because you're talking about human beings, I think often well, in the media think, we forget. I that. think that uh, I think that a lot of times um, football is is a way for people to escape, and they become immersed in it. Pro football, in particular, their favorite team, their player, we're assets. Like when we're drafted, like you know, their team lost a quarterback and now they drafted a quarterback. It's a piece of the puzzle. So when that piece starts acting like a human being, it's foreign to the fan and they don't necessarily know how to deal with it other than like, Hey, you're, you're my, you're my property here. You need to, you need to act accordingly. And we forget that we're all the same. We're all these flawed human beings. We just happen to play a sport really well. It doesn't mean we're equipped to deal with life any better than anybody else. That's the biggest misconception in all of this. Like we're probably more um, inept at dealing with life because we've been placed on these pedestals so much in our life that we've never had to really deal with life on life's terms. Really? I got something for you. I got a second podcast with my girlfriend. It's called the flawed humans podcast uh, where we talk just about life and owning that we're not perfect. Um, I'm, I'm curious I, I hate to stay on this topic for so long, but if you were a six-round pick, do you think you'd be notable? Because I think a lot of people, the expectations are so much lower. What do you, what's your answer to that? Well, if my well, my my character defects and my personality probably wouldn't allow it to be. But then also, I think those things fueled me and made me the number two overall pick. So it's it's a conundrum. Like, how do you equate that? What are the variables that go into that? If I'm a six-round pick then I didn't have the success in college and therefore I'm not very notable. And maybe uh, I'm a backup quarterback and just, you know, play, play for years and years and years. And no one really uh, pays too much attention except when I get in for, for let's say Drew Brees, when he gets hurt, you know, it's, it's uh, I don't know how, how you quantify that actually. Um, Hmm. 
I'm grateful for everything that happened. Football, you know, the success I had in college, which is what allowed me to be the second overall pick. And, uh, and I wouldn't trade those years at Washington State and the success we had, and the, <laughs> the relationships I made in, in, yeah. uh, with anything. Do you think it's fair when people people criticize Baker Mayfield for being, quote, confident, and they call him cocky? I think that's kind of ridiculous because no one has the story of Baker Mayfield, a two-time walk-on, Heisman Trophy winner, number one overall pick, without being confident. And you have to be confident to be a quarterback. Do you think it's unfair when people criticize him for being, quote, cocky? Well, I don't think he cares what anybody that anybody says because <laughs> all he yeah. cares about is all he cares about is his coaches, teammates, and his fans in Cleveland. Mm. I mean, that's all you have to worry about. Um, when the when the criticism starts coming from your fan base and your organization, then then there's something you have to maybe take a look at. But if he continues to be the starter and the guy they want out there, keep doing what you're doing, kid. I mean, you you are exceptional. You've come from the very bottom like you talked about being a walk-on to doing what he did, winning the Heisman Trophy, being the first overall pick, you know, taking Cleveland to the playoffs for the first time. They win a Super Bowl under his tenure. They're going to rename the town to, to, you know, Bakerville or something like that. I don't know, but it, I, I, don't, I wouldn't worry what anybody else has to say about him. He's living his best life, I do believe. I think that translates so much beyond sports even. Like, as long as you like what you're doing, you feel good about yourself. And, like, you're, a couple, like, close people, like, support you and believe in what you're doing too. That's kind of all that matters, right? Well, that's humility. Um, hmm. Humility is looking in the mirror and knowing who you are and being okay with it. That's what true humility is. And um, if he feels that way, not that there isn't an improvement in any, any given person at any given time. You can always be evolving and always be improving. But, I mean, if you are okay with the guy you see in the mirror and know that you're flawed and know that you're going to mess up. But when you do, you know, take ownership for it and then keep trudging forward. I think that's, that's what true humility is. And it took me a long time to figure that out. Mm. We're entering the NFL draft season. And uh, I'm curious, what would you say to guys getting ready to be drafted in the first round? Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. You know, understand that it's all going to, it's going to be all about you for a few months. Um, You come from a team game to a position of your agents, publicists, media are all trying to build you up and it's all about you. You're not with the team yet. And um, you can get caught up in that, you know, not understanding truly that it's uh, not about you, but about the bigger goal here. And that's winning a championship at the next level and being the best professional you can be. So once that draft happens, fully understanding that you have to go back to team concept. And I think all these guys understand that Trevor Lawrence in particular. Um, I, I really do. I feel like once that name is, is uh, read off the, the card on draft night, you know, they go back into team mode. Guys are, are good about that. Some guys aren't, I wasn't, you know, I, I really still thought it was all about me and I really had a hard time, uh, you know, coming out of it. What about high school? There are guys, that are freshmen that we all know are going to the elite 11. Those, the cream of the crop couple guys in high school. What would you say to guys like that? Um, you know, don't, again, don't, you know, don't buy, buy into the hype. You sure. know, you know, if you believe the good stuff, you got to believe the bad stuff too. So just don't believe any of it. Just keep working your tail off, set goals. Um, and also make something not about you, right? Start, you know, being of service some way in your community and stuff like that. When if you can remove yourself from the equation, uh, the fact that you're considered an elite 11 or, or being recruited all over the country, you are special. Okay. So, you know, as an athlete, that's, that's going to take care of itself. Let's, let's work on the human being side of it and, and, and then good things will happen. That's, that's the best advice I can give 
give guys. Mm. Uh, let's talk about YouTube. You just started uh, your own YouTube show, The Ryan D. Leaf Show. Tell me about that. Well, 2020, you know, really, you know, kicked everybody in the nuts. I mean, it just yeah. uh, took a ton of control away from us. I was working for ESPN. I got pulled off the road. Uh, COVID just, you know, it, it allowed opportunity to spend more time with the family. But occupationally, what I was really enjoying doing on the broadcasting side of things diminished significantly, you know, and uh, this is something I always wanted to do. I get the luxury uh, to fill in for Rich Eisen when he's out. Uh, really grateful for him and his support. And I feel like I could, uh, I could, you know, host my own show and be good at it and enjoy it. And so, yeah. you know, I had some buddies, uh, some young kids who are newly out of college who want to get into the business and know the tech and the software and could help facilitate that for this 44-year-old man who's just kind of <laughs> learning as he goes. Yeah. And we started it March 1st. And we're, you know, today will be our ninth show. Um, you know, we started with two subscribers. We're, you know, we're like at 180 now. So, you know, we're a grassroots thing. We're just trying to build. Um, we, we talk about Sports in general, of course, it's a sports talk show, but it's about life, too. I usually do an open about, you know, how I'm doing, what I'm going through, what other people may be going through that are struggling with some things and that we're there for them. We're not just, you know, we're all things to all people when it comes to our show. Sports brings everybody together to have real and honest conversations. That's what I think, and that's what my show is about. I can't recommend it enough. The Ryan D. Leaf Show, uh, it's legitimately, I think you have a great perspective that uh, is a lot of people should have. And I think you're you're rare on the fact that you are so willing to talk about your mistakes and the lessons you've learned, and you're so humble. And I think that's really admirable, and I really respect that. Well, I appreciate it. I mean, it's I chose to uh, I didn't necessarily want to stay in the public eye when I got out of prison, uh, but my mentors, my mentors, um, you know, really showed me and supported me and knew my story would have an impact on people who are still struggling. Cause that's what it ultimately all is. I'm not, I'm not, I don't do any of this for me. I enjoy talking about sports, but the, the personal side of all this is about uh, possibly reaching somebody who's in a place where I once was, where I was just so miserable that I didn't want to be alive anymore. And I know there are people out there that are struggling and if they could hear a message of hope, um, that's why I do it. So that's why I stay as public. And it, you know what, you know, it does, like I said, it doesn't cost me anything to, to be honest, um, brutally honest, because that's, that's the only way I could move forward. Um, as a person, I, I, I couldn't move forward, you know, telling stories or lies or trying to, you know, form the perfect picture, the Instagram life or something like that. That's not, that's not who I am. I'm sure you don't know this. Uh, but I, I love to tell you, February 8, 2016, uh, my younger brother, 17 years old, committed a suicide. And it was um, – uh, that's why I do this show. That's that kind of the thing that – the catalyst that got me doing this uh, was that loss. Um, I'm so I, sorry, Zach, to hear that. I, uh, I, I really appreciate the way you share your platform. I, I was going to say this till the end, but I, I think it'd be – now's a good time. You know, a lot of 20-somethings listen to my show, uh, early 20s, mid-20s. And I think one thing that often isn't talked about with sobriety is, and I'm curious what your answer is, when do you know you need help? When do you know you need to deal with your sobriety? Well, I usually, you know, I ask them, you know, do you have a drinking problem? And they, and they say no. And I said, well, then stop. If you don't have a problem, then just stop. You know, 
try it out for a year. And, and if you can't do it, then there's, there's definitely a problem. Um, <laughs> and then ask yourself why you're doing it. For me, like my, my drug of choice was, was opiates. And so I thought after a while, if it'd been out of my system, if the boys wanted to go grab a beer and watch the ball game, Hey, you know, why not? Alcohol was never an issue for me, but I had to ask myself, why would I be doing that? And it's because I, I needed to alter my mood because I wasn't a comfortable with the people I was hanging around with, or I wasn't comfortable with myself. I had to feel altered to, to be in that environment. And that, that's a hard look in the mirror to understand that like you need to be altered to be with and around other people. So, um, another big thing is I, I used to go to, when I'd use, I'd go to movies a lot and I never thought I'd be able to go see movies because I love going to movies if I wasn't high. And so I had to start gradually, like going to movies and, and, and watching them sober and, and realizing that I enjoy going to the movies. It wasn't the, the, the numbing feeling, uh, it was enjoyment of the movie and it just takes time. And that's so I, I asked the young, young adults that I speak with about, you know, why are you doing something? Because not everybody has a problem, right? You may not have a problem. I, I'm not about abstinence. I don't, you know, I, I think, I think drugs should be decriminalized. Uh, it, it has happened in Oregon. Uh, you know, marijuana has been made legal in a lot of states. Crime has gone down significantly in those states they can be taxed and put towards treatment and things like that so i'm a big proponent of that i just understand that i'm i have an allergy to it right I, i'm allergic i break out in handcuffs uh and that's that's the bottom line so i understand that so i just have you ask the question um why are you doing something are you doing it to alter your mood or you're doing it to you know just hang out and have some fun and it's not really an issue this is a this is something you're gonna have to take an honest god look at and understand when somebody if somebody approaches you and talks to you about it somebody else has seen something you're not seeing and you need to you need to take that to heart i've never told the story publicly uh and i well, certainly wasn't planning to but i know um when my brother died i used to I, i'd get drunk and i'd get in my car and i'd just drive just kind of hope like recklessly i wasn't gonna kill myself but i was hoping something bad might happen I just remember being really in a, play, a dark place, just really reckless and not really worried about the, 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 uh, the, the cause of my uh, action. Um, and I, I just want to encourage everybody, go get help. I, I, went, I went and got help. Um, and I remember just I needed to talk to somebody. I needed to talk about my feelings. I needed to talk about the loss. Uh, and so anybody out there, I, I just encourage anybody, go get help. It's a huge thing that I needed to do. And uh, I think – a lot of guys, especially former athletes, I, I was like, no way, I've got no problems, like I'm fine. And I kept saying I'm fine for like three years till I realized I'm not fine, like at all. And I had to go get help. And going to therapy really, really helped me um, it, it, it's, move it's, forward. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a game changer. Um, being able to express yourself to somebody else who is empathetic to your plight, can understand what you're, what you're going through. And then it's an opportunity for you to unburden yourself. I carried so much weight of things for so long that at, at some point it's going to boil over. And, it, and, it, and you won't know when or how or why it happens. Something triggering uh, can do it. And post-traumatic stress is, is just a hidden uh, grenade waiting in you to, uh, for that pin to be, to be pulled at some point. And when it does... Um, you, you, you sometimes you unconsciously do something, you jump in your car, you drink, you drive. I mean, that's exactly, you're just looking for a way not to feel. And um, one of the hardest things I've found is 
to learn how to sit in my feelings and be okay with it. Like, okay, feeling angry, okay, feeling sad. Um, but understand there is a solution to that and not um, reactionary uh, in any way. I found crying to be really valuable. And I, I once I, I learned, have, like, I accepted to. to cry, it helps. Uh, I, I'm curious, and this is a, I don't know how to ask this question. I'm going to do my best, right? I, um, I, I try not to use the word regret because I think every, Everything that happened in the past leads us to now, and I'm I'm certainly really happy. I love my life, um, and so I, I try not to say I regret the past. But are there? I know I look back on on things in my life. Where I'm, I'm really sad that it worked out that way. Are, do you look back at what are things you look back on, and are there things you look back on that you just feel sad about, or were there moments along the journey where you're like, man, that's I'm just sad about this thing? Yeah, this last year, um, you know, for about for about five. Five, six years, um, things have kind of, you know, shot forward for me, positivity. And, uh, and you know, this last year has been really difficult. And so I've been struggling of late. Um, and so, yeah, that, that, that comes and goes, right? It's, it's, human, it's human frailty. I think for the long term, I just I wish I would have treated people better. You know, I had this platform mm. long ago. Uh, I think this one's more effective, but that one had more reach as a starting NFL quarterback. Um, and I squandered it uh, because I thought it was all about me. And I treated people poorly um, who didn't uh, who didn't support me. And why should you support this petulant child, you know, man, baby? Uh, playing a, a child's game for a ton of money, you know, so that's probably my biggest regret in all this. But, you know, this last year, I've, you know, I found myself in some depressive moments. Um, and I've had to shake myself free by doing the things that I've set in place over the last five years, the foundation I've set with the recovery, uh, the therapy, uh, the support staff, all those things. And I found it difficult sometimes to be grateful for, you know, that I'm still here. And that's, I, I hate that feeling. I don't want to, I don't want that feeling anymore. Uh, do you want to talk about something fun? I got a fun oh, one. Of course. I, yeah. I got your book here, which I know you probably had no idea. I would have your book. Uh, I live in Cougar country. So they, everyone has your book here. Um, and I, one of the things I found really exciting about it, you said you were on a trip to Miami, you're visiting, uh, in recruiting and you met the rock. The rock was a player at Miami and you met him on your recruiting visit. What was that like? Well, I mean, it was it was just another player. I mean, it wasn't the Rock then. <laughs> sure, you know, yeah. It was Dwayne Johnson. He was a backup defensive tackle. So, <laughs> I mean, I mean, how how would you know anything? But years later, I was able. You know, I think back and I go, "Oh my God, that's <laughs> you know, that's who that was." Wow, what a cool story. Um, that was a great trip. You know, I knew I wasn't going to go to Miami, but I mean, you know, story twenty four years later is or twenty six years later. Oh my God. Um, yeah, I mean, he was a he was a University of Miami defensive tackle, and you know we know his story from there. He'd go on to Canada, he'd be cut, he'd you know be sleeping on a mattress in the alley with seven bucks in his pocket, and now he's the biggest uh, film star on the planet. I watched a movie uh, with him last night, literally. <laughs> yeah, he's 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 a special individual. Uh, he's talked about his fight with with mental illness. Um, what a what a way to be uh, a solution oriented person who's at the top of his game still being able to talk about the the human frailty of it all. So yeah, it's a, it's a cool story. It's 
uh, it was fleeting. Like, you know, we were in a car together for, you know, 10 minutes to the drive to the bar and, you know, away we go in our lives. That's wild. Uh, what's it like to write a book? I mean, where did, where did that idea come from? Uh, you know, a couple cougars came to me about, you know, I had gotten sober, um, before I actually got in the final bit of trouble and, um, I wanted to give back and I wanted to give back to the cougar community that supported me so much. And Greg Witter, who runs and owns cougfan.com, uh, is, became a, a really close friend and he's an unbelievable writer and him and I just, you know, started going to town on that year. Uh, not really just that year, but my time at, at Washington state, because it had, it's something that hadn't been done in 67 years and really hadn't been documented. And we thought we'd do a kind of an up close and personal scope to it. Initially it was going to be three books. It was going to be that it was going to be, uh, I think my full autobiography. And then um, I think my recovery story, uh, the publishing company has since gone out of business. So we, we got the one project done. I, I helped facilitate us not moving forward by, by relapsing and, and going to prison for three years. I probably could have read it, wrote it when I was in there, but I wasn't, a, you know, I wasn't in a, in a good mindset to do that either, but uh, really enjoyed the process. Greg Witter is an exceptional writer and editor. I gave him, a, I gave him probably like 90,000 words and he pared it down to like 60,000 and articulated it so well and it didn't lose any of its substance when I gave it to him. I'm curious. Um, I, I want to hear your take on the air raid offense. Uh, Mike Leach is gone, but I, I've always heard, and I think there are very valid criticisms of the air raid offense. Uh, and I, I, in fact, I have some. I know some quarterbacks who played there. I'm curious what your thought is. I've heard you don't like it. Is that true? Oh, no, I, I like it just fine. Mm -hmm. I just, you know, I, I think that... Uh, you know, the stubbornness around not adding, um, you know, a, a physical running game to it uh, is what ultimately cost them championships. Um, they played for the uh, Pac-12 North title for three consecutive years, and it was not even, a, it was a non-starter in that game against Washington, and all three of them. Uh, the best season ever with Gardner Minshew, where they won 11 games, it was, you know, it just, the snow started coming down, and it became a different kind of football game, one that, Washington State was incapable of winning. So I love what, what we did. We were a one-back set where we ran the football. Uh, that, that final year where we led the nation in passing, we also ran for 220 yards a game. So we threw for 330. We ran for 220. You know, teams were, were on their heels not knowing what we were going to do. And so I think you can do both. And the run and shoot – is very similar with Nick Rolovich. So I feel like that's going to be a right fit. Now, what Mike Leach does is niche and he can go to places like Washington state and Texas tech and make winners out of it at the collegiate level. Now you're not going to win, probably not going to win conference championships or national championships, but at those places where you're not used to necessarily going to bowls every single year, um, people are excited about it. And, uh, but you also build expectation. And then when you don't meet those expectations by not winning championships, that's where the scrutiny and uh, the critical nature of, of criticism can come. And that's just kind of where I was with, you know, they, like I said, they had those three years to win a championship or play for a championship, at least in the Pac-12 championship. And they just, it was a, it was a non-starter in that game because they just weren't physical enough. When you spend your entire, when you spend your entire process going backwards in an offense, offense alignment, always dropping back, then on third and one or fourth and one, you ask them to go forward. It's foreign to them. 
So they're not physical enough, and that's why we're seeing USC go through the same problem. You know, last year they just – on third down and fourth down, I mean, they, they couldn't execute because they just – the physical nature of going backwards all the time, catching, and then asking to go forward is so foreign, and you're not physical enough. Hmm. I – how do you think Mike Leach does at Mississippi State? Do you think it's the same story where he'll be good, get a couple 10 win years, maybe, maybe in the SEC, and then eventually, because my prediction is he'll never probably win, a, a, obviously, an SEC championship. He's not going to be Nick Saban, Alabama. I think it's going to be kind of the same thing. Texas Tech was really good and out, and Washington State was really good for a while and then out. Do you see a similar trajectory happening at Mississippi State? Probably. You know, yeah. he's going to figure out he's going to figure out how to way to win games there. They're not going to win a championship. Um, but, uh, you know, you know, that year that, that they had Dak Prescott and Dan Mullen and when they were number one in the country and that was probably their best chance. Um, you know, I think they could be a team that could win seven, eight, maybe even nine games because of his ability to put his players in the right positions. But, you know, they're not going to beat the elite teams in Georgia and Alabama, uh, to, to win a title. Um, and, so I, I didn't. I understood the move because it paid a hell of a lot more, and it gave him a chance to test his offense against the elite conference in the country. So I understand the move, um, but um, I think he'll be just as successful there as he's been at his other two stops, and, and have similar outcomes. He's very polarizing, Mike Leach, uh, and I know some players love him, some players hate him. What do you think is something that makes him good for quarterbacks, and what do you think is something that makes him maybe not so good for quarterbacks? Well, he kind of gives him autonomy to, to run his offense, right? I mean, there's 10 plays, essentially, and you can run a bunch of different uh, offshoots of it, and, and you really put the the onus in the quarterback's hands, which I think is great, and I think that's why quarterbacks love him so much. The problem is some quarterbacks, uh, you know, don't necessarily like him because he believes they're interchangeable. He just believes if you are good enough to be in my offense, I don't care who you are. I can throw you in there and you'll be successful in this offense. So there really isn't ever a true loyalty, I think, to a starting quarterback. It always can shift and change. Um, and that's got to be hard as a, as a quarterback, not, not knowing your worth at all times. How about Gardner? I, I love Gardner. I think it's really fun. Yeah, boy. I mean, that to do what he did in, in, in the aftershock of, of the loss of Tyler Holinsky, I think it was the best possible person for the job to come in from – off the street, outside of the program, to kind of give it an injection of positivity where he didn't have a lot of that weighing on him when he got there. Um, and he just went to work. He just went to work. The team came together, uh, and they were about as special as you can imagine. It was fun to cover him that year, um, you know, you know, for him to be in the Heisman Trophy race. Then to get an opportunity in the NFL and just kind of Minshew mania to take over in Jacksonville, what a great spot for him to land in. Uh, really fits in well. I expect him to be a guy that's going to help Trevor Lawrence here in the next year uh, and probably be a perennial backup in this league, which is something that when he left East Carolina and was pondering whether to take a GA job with Dick Saban at Alabama, um, look where he is now by just answering the call from Mike Leach saying, yeah, I want to leave the nation in passing. Let's do it. Yeah, it's a he's an inspiring story to me of a guy who just was willing to take the plunge and uh, I think overcame a lot and a lot of expectations as well. Ryan, that's all I have, man. I really appreciate you. I think you're very, again, I, I think you're a person who a lot of people can look up to. Your humility is incredible. Uh, the way you talk about your life is so inspiring to me. And I just, uh, I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Zach. Keep doing what you're doing, man. If you ever need anything, I'm right here. Awesome. Thanks so much. Appreciate you.
All right, Zach, have a great day.